And we are live with our 35th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm uh, at CK Tricky on Twitter, uh, Ken Johnson. I don't know why I did that backwards, Seth. Like, usually it's I'm Ken Johnson. I'm at CK Tricky on Twitter. Anyways, uh, I am joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back once again. Uh, 35th episode, uh, just rolling along. Excited to have everybody. We're joined this week by... Travis McPeak. Um, say hi, Travis. Hello. <laughs> Travis, we're going to do a full intro on Travis, but if you have interest in like AWS security, uh, security operations uh, in the cloud, things of that nature, you definitely want to see this episode. Um, it's going to be a fun one. We're going to get into it. Um, but before we do that, Seth, I know that uh, we're going to talk a little bit about SSRF as part of the AppSec Minute. I think you're going to yep. leave. Sure. Uh, Server-side request forgery. Um, I've been dealing with it. Just uh, this assessment, it's on the top of my mind, right? Because I've been dealing with it the last couple of days on one of the assessments that I've been working on. And, uh, you know, the more you dig into it, the more kind of like tools and different resources that you find for something like this. Um, Ken, you've dealt with server-side request forgery before, obviously. Um, this is the ability to tell a server to actually go out and make a request for something else. Um, and if the attacker can modify that request in any, any way, we can have it retrieve resources that the application doesn't necessarily intend to consume, whether that's you know, some sort of cloud, you know, keys or something else like local internals for AWS is a very common one. We'll post up a couple of different repositories and attack payloads that you can play with. Uh, the one thing that I wanted you to recognize with SSRF, though, is that anywhere that there is some sort of an IP address or a host name that's actually being sent to the server is a place that you should be looking for server-side request forgery. Uh, the one that I recently found was actually in the host header, right, the HTTP host header, that they were taking that value and actually appending it to do a lookup or to do a redirect behind the scenes. Uh, which made it really interesting. And it was one that Burp Suite didn't find by itself. Uh, and even when I tried to force it along and say, hey, look in this spot, the Burp Suite scanner never identified it as vulnerable, but I was able to actually have it look up things, send me data and pull stuff down from, from my systems uh, locally, even though Burp Suite and Burp Collaborator weren't finding it. Uh, Ken, have you run into that before where Burp doesn't actually find something that you expect it to? Um, <laughs> I mean, in terms well, of SSRF or just in general? <laughs> <laughs> I guess SSRF. Let's keep it to that, right? Yeah, no, um, I haven't had that specific thing happen. Only only for the simple fact that, as you know, I spend a lot more time with code reviews um, for several years now than I have in like dynamic testing world. Usually dynamic testing for me is like validation of what I'm finding in yeah. the source code. So it's hard to say. I did have one thing I wanted to add though there that was pretty interesting because, you know, you know, we did the, uh, the hacker one event. Um, and so what we did is we had like an SSR F target internally. Um, and we gave that out to, you know, obviously like the hundred hackers or whatever that, that were, that were there. And um, so what would happen is you, they would get, if they found SSRF and they wanted to validate it, you get back a, uh, like a random UUID, but also we log that UUID to like um, our 
logging console or our logging uh, app, I should say. And so we could go through and, you know, basically like we could see where that request came from, see the UUID. And so when they provided that UUID to us, we could kind of validate and uh, trace back and just kind of see how like how it all, how all the pieces fit together. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is it de- like, it's a good idea, I guess, if you're running like a, a bounty, this is like totally separate from the educational part, but if you're running a bounty, it doesn't hurt to have an SSRF target that you list. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Uh, I, I mean, one thing that I found to be very useful for me just because I will, okay, when you're crafting that attack payload, you don't always know how the server is going to handle the different components that you send it. So if you need to actually be able to insert, you know, a a slash for a directory or whatever that you want to pull from, that may not always pass through. Like in the host header, I was seeing that filtered out and it, it took the, uh, an external site that I was actually using, like what you're talking about, and interacting with to troubleshoot how the payload was being used by the application. And this was even an application that I had sourced to, but you know, it always depends on what those different layers are that are sitting, that may be sitting in front of the application as well, like your Nginx, your Apache modules, right? Everything else that sits in that layer may actually change those host values or change those parameters in some way as they're being sent to the application. They might, um, so, and then also if you have it in like parameters, it could like sometimes um, the you know like an nginx or unicorn or something. They might detect that like the parameters are. This isn't necessarily SSRF specific, but if you had like you know like a, a, fi- a traversal payload or something like that in the URL, there are like modules where nginx will just say no, that's not okay. Like I'm not gonna. Yeah, um, that's not valid and. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, that's so, really good to test in a prod environment and validate. Yep, exactly. So that's SSRF. Uh, we're posting up a couple of different repositories and things that were useful to me over the last week in uh, you know, exploiting that and actually identifying it first of all, but then exploiting it. Uh, if anybody else has other resources, I started a Twitter thread. I'd love to you know see what else people are using there. Just because it is kind of, I mean, I like the term hipster, right? It is definitely the hipster vol nowadays. A lot of people are jumping on that and attacking it. And a lot of the bug bounties are paying out pretty substantial money for it just because of the danger that's involved. So, so that's SSRF. Uh, let's let's switch over to Travis now. I think, uh, Ken, you've got a couple, you've got like an introduction that you were going to walk into. Yeah, firstly, let me say I am personally very excited to have Travis on. Um I think, you know, you and I were talking about this, uh, Seth, like, so we, we, we've seen, we, you know, you and I went to reInvent and just in general, I've seen a lot of what, um, Netflix, uh, does, you know, on the, uh, on the AWS security front and some of the tools. And, um, for me, I mean, it's amazing that we get to pick Travis's brain. And so I should probably mention, I should probably go back and say, so Travis is a senior security operations um, engineer at Netflix. Uh, Travis also helps out uh, or co-runs the OWASP Bay Bay Area chapter. uh, Sorry, the OWASP Bay Area chapter, um, member of the OpenStack security team, Cloud Foundry, et cetera. Has presented at uh, AppSec Cali, B-Sides SF, Black Hat USA, reInvent, and Enigma. Um, 
and has a few projects. And I know I really want to talk about Repo Kid, but Repo Kid, Bandit, Recon, BF. Uh, these are these are some of uh, the the projects that that Travis work works on or or, or his projects, and um, yeah. So I mean, I think where I want to start. Well, the fir first, hi Travis. Thank you for sure. coming on. Awesome to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, we're really. <laughs> so it's funny because one of the my favorite things that I've ever seen was um, at the time that you know it was Repo Man. Um, and Seth, I mean, Seth and I were sitting together at reInvent and we're watching this concept of, you know, permissions, permission management based off of like, use it or lose it. And that was amazing. And you can certainly talk more to that. But um, uh, yeah, like just that alone was one of the coolest things that I had seen. And now you work on Repo Kid. And yeah, so it's exciting to have you here to be able to pick your brain and hear more about how all this stuff actually works. And um, allow people to ask you questions and whatnot. Sure. Yeah, we have to, I, yeah, I mean, we have to say that we're huge fans, right? Uh, uh, the Netflix team, I think, you know, I first met Jason a number of years ago, Jason Chan, right? Um, we both gave talks at like a, a network security conference. And I think there were, that he and I were the only ones that were in the track talking to each other. So it was super fun, but we've had Asta on as well, seeing all, um, and so we're excited to have you. So sorry, go ahead, Travis. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, Jason's awesome to, to speak with. Um, and yeah, I remember that reInvent, uh, he announced that the repo man was going to be coming out and then some time went by and we hadn't released it and I can kind of shed some light on why that is. Um, so repo man, the idea behind it was that, uh, we have this data, you know, access advisor and cloud trail, which are two sources of data that Amazon can provide that will tell you you know, for a given role that you're using, what are the things that the role is actually using and what is it not using? And Repo Man was this nice UI that the idea is that developers will go and visit it and they'll get this information for their own application and then make changes. <clears throat> and so that was all good. But I think uh, just prior to me getting to Netflix, the realization was that developers are actually very busy people and they don't want to go to a UI and like find these things and then go make modifications to their apps. And what would be better is if we just use this data, make intelligent decisions on their behalf, and then make the changes for them. And that's where Repo Man, like this big, you know, fully fledged UI became Repo Kid, which is this, it started off as a little script, you would just run it, and it would just like chop out these permissions. And since then, we've done a lot of work to operationalize it and make it mature and logging and all this good stuff that you would expect from something that goes and removes permission from an environment. Yeah, I mean, and and so like, What's, you know, I mean, you can't, I'm not asking for hard numbers, but, you know, is it, is it more the case that these permissions legitimately, like, they don't need to exist on, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, user or the uh, role or the whatever it might be? Um, is it far more the case you find that like, okay, this actually doesn't need those permissions? Or is there ever like, sort of a, a higher, you know, is it sort of a mix or what would, what do you, what would you say? Yeah. Um, and a lot more so just because of the way that we deploy applications. So at Netflix, you know, we believe in developer freedom and high velocity. And the last thing that we want is to have this security review process that some companies have where, you know, the security review process, you're like, this is the app that I want to launch. And then you'll meet with the security team, which might be busy for a few weeks. You get a meeting, you go back and forth about like what's actually required and from there, you come up with a policy. And then, you know, if we were running repo kit in an environment like that, then it would only remove permissions that stopped being used over time. 
what we do instead is we'll grant a base set of permissions. That's kind of like our best guess of like things that applications typically need to do. And that's by nature over provision. And so, you know, from there we take away well over half the permissions that an app actually needs. Um, but that's just because we don't want to slow developers down by making them do a security review. I love that idea. So you give them more than than they might even need, and it doesn't really require, it's very low friction. It's very like, cool, well, we're just going to give you these baseline set of permissions and then just have an automated reevaluation of what you're actually using, revoke them as need be, you know, should work because totally. you're not using these permissions. Totally, yeah. And uh, one of the, you know, so sometimes we break developers, right? I mean, we try to avoid doing that as much as possible, but it's definitely happened and one of the, the things that we can point to is that in the end, we're making their life easier because, you know, we're able to grant these permissions broadly without any requirement of like a security review. And then we can just take them back when they're not needed. So even though we have broken a few developers in the in the long run, everybody's happier. We're happier because we get, you know, least privilege and they're happier because they get to do their work without even like asking the security team for anything. And I know, and I'm looking at this and I see that it works at SNS and I know it's not for this reason, but the, the, does it, are you able to, since it's already got some work there with SNS, um, does it notify? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just looking through it now. I'm trying to figure out if it also notifies folks like, Hey, well, I guess you'd actually have to know like who to notify. Right. So, yeah. When, so, so internally we do that. Um, so one of the things that one of the design goals for repo kid was to make it very pluggable. Um, so there's certain like business logic for Netflix that I've just implemented as plugins. And that business logic is going to be slightly different for other organizations. And that's implemented as hooks. So you can basically just say, you know, during the repo stage or during the scheduling stage, I want to run this Python code. And in our case, it, that plugs into a service that we have internally that goes and notifies the owner of the app. Love it. I, I really do think that's that's an amazing sort of like approach to like there are never enough security people to constantly be a gate, uh, especially if you're doing, you know, a lot of development. And um, that's a, I, I think that's a really great low friction way to sort of um, keep keep development flowing with some sane security controls uh, as well. So, yeah. I, wish yeah, I, was, I have to give yeah. a shout out to Patrick Kelly and Jason who uh, had the idea before I got here, but I've been lucky enough to operationalize it at Netflix. Cool. Yeah. I, I, all I was going to say is like, that's always the kind of the recommendation that we go in with is, Hey, you know, the more that you can productionalize something that makes it easier on you and the developers in that CICD pipeline, the better off both of us are going to be. Definitely. So now we can go on LinkedIn and we can look at your background and we can, you know, talk about where you've worked. But what we really want to know is your origin story. How did you know that you wanted to do security? What, you know, what, like, were there any early signs as a child? You know, like how, how did you, you know, how did you get into security? What's your sort of path to InfoSec or SecOps or, you know, whatever name you want to give it? Love it. Yeah, that's a lot more fun than LinkedIn stalking anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I've always wanted to do security. Um, when I was a kid, I, I don't even remember this. I was so young, but apparently I ran around my grandparents' house and I got every pile, like everything that was electronic and I got it in a big pile and I was obsessed with like locks and keys. And so like those two together, I mean, for, for a three-year-old, I think that that's got to be, you know, some kind of an indication of a security mindset. Um, 
then when I was a little bit older, I was, you know, programming and stuff like that. I really enjoyed it, but I must've done something that like pissed my parents off and they, they put a restriction on the computer, like some kind of a password or something. And I couldn't use it. You know, I was, wasn't supposed to use it for a month. Um, but there was a couple of edge cases, you know, like things that I was allowed to do on the computer and they would come and unlock it for me. And one time, uh, my mom came to unlock it for me and she had wet hands and based on the, the position of the wet keys, I was able to deduce that the very clever password they put was W because <laughs> W and enter were wet. So I figured out that the password was W and I maintained persistence for months. <laughs> that was literally just, just the letter W. Yeah, w and enter. <laughs> yeah, no, if you're messing with locks as a kid, then there's, that's a, that's a definite sign that has to be right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So from then, I mean, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to be in it. I'd probably be doing this job, even if it paid very little or nothing. I just, you know, the, the whole approach to, you know, there's this control that you're not supposed to be able to get around. And then there's ways around it. It's almost like, it's almost like the modern day equivalent of magic, in my opinion. And it's just, it's so cool. I mean, every day I get to come to work and, you know, kind of like apply this very special way my mind works to, to coming up with things that make, you know, the company I'm working for better in this case, Netflix and, I'm just very lucky to be here. Yeah, it's nice that people pay us to do this stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and we don't go to jail for it, you know. Yep. Seth and I have talked about this before where it's like, you know, we, we like yourself, got into this in, you know, maybe a gray area, right? And mm -hmm. uh, just kind of doing those things like getting access when you shouldn't get access because it's fun. And so it's nice that you can grow up and be adult and do it for a living. And, you know, people, uh, pe people, people pay you. you. Yeah. You don't get arrested. <laughs> so. right. Yeah. I, I, no, I was just going to say, um, right. You, you hearkening back to like, kind of like people view it as magic. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised how often that that's the case, right. People that aren't in the kind of the IT or security field, you know, you start talking about, Oh, what do you do for a living? And it, I mean, the, the initial one is always, Oh, well I do like, information security and I help secure code and they kind of glaze over and look at you like you're crazy. And they're like, Oh no, kind of like, you know, a hacker or for hire hacker. And then they're all like, Ooh, this is amazing. And the first thing they ask is, can you hack my Facebook account? Right. Or can you hack my email? And you're like, no, well, depends. Right. It, it's always just kind of this weird discussion that you have with people and they view you as uh, some people are afraid. Right. I, I've had people that won't talk to me anymore after I, I say something like that. I don't know if your experience is the same that way. I love that. Usually uh, people are more in the, can you hack my Facebook, you know, or can you hack my boyfriend's Facebook uh, camp? But if you were to, you know, take someone in the old days, you know, and you're like, you know, I need to get into the castle and the castle's drawbridge is closed, right? And if the castle runs on IoT and I can press a couple buttons and make the drawbridge open, that is magic, you know? <laughs> it is. It is. I, I mean, it, it's kind of fun, right? Uh, but it's... <laughs> and also, yeah, I, I don't know, like representing yourself to kind of the, the layman is, is always difficult on, well, you don't, you don't understand how much time it actually takes to, to build up this knowledge, right? It's not just, Hey, I turned around and Googled this and the first thing worked, right? I, I guess that, that is, you know, we, you know, script kitty ish, but you know, most of, most of the time that I spend, there's a lot of, dang, I bang my head against the wall a lot. That's what it feels like. Like, you know, just like the SSRF stuff and, you know, probably dealing with repo kid and trying to implement all this stuff is it feels like it's a lot of no, 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 no. And then it works once you're super happy about it. And then you have to document it. Right? That's, yep. that's my, Definitely a hard one knowledge. 
Yeah. I don't yeah, know. it's like that we, Arthur. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say we don't we don't all work at Microsoft like Ken does. Like the. <laughs> well, no, I was gonna say you know they got that Arthur Clark quote quote about uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, and it's kind of that um, any sufficient you know sufficiently advanced. Well, I say that, and then you come across like classic ASP and PHP apps, and so. All that goes out the window, but you know, I mean, yeah, if it's if it's sophisticated, or I shouldn't even say sophisticated, if it's something that people don't understand, uh, it seems like magic. So, yeah. well, yeah. magic in there too. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's definitely some stuff. that's like I don't, I can't explain every step. You know, from like from like me pressing a button and then that thing being deployed in the cloud environment. I'm sure there's magic in there somewhere. There is a lot of that that little little sprinkle of magic, especially with when you get into like DevOpsy type stuff, which yeah. is what where you've got you on to talk about some some of the the cloud security stuff. So, like, did you go a traditional sort of like educational route? Did you um, start like did you do it a different way? Did you do like entry level IT and then um, kind of work into the security field? I mean, how did you come about? You know, um, yeah, tell us about how you ended up as a you know where you're at now i actually did security both. i actually did both but, um i had a nice little side gig you know going in high school where i'd go and fix people's computers and increasingly that meant like dealing with you know virus fallout and stuff like that so that was kind of you know like learning about how do you make a system hard and what are the best like practices for you know telling people that don't want to spend their whole life doing computers like what are the minimum viable things that they should be doing to not have this happen to them again uh, I did a little bit of software development. Um, uh, one one kind of cool project I had was I implemented some software for a railroad when I was in college. So I wrote like everything that they needed for like train management and stuff like that. So um, you wrote the original rails? Yeah, the original rails. Got it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it was just as secure as the original rails too, right? They were more secure. <laughs> I love that. No, yeah, I, I'm sure it was terrible. Like <laughs> going back, like even thinking about that code I wrote was is enough to give me nightmares. But I did write it. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably still there running like completely unmodified from when I wrote it like 12 years ago. That um, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> I also uh, did do computer science and stuff like that. I would say that most of you know the stuff that I've learned that I use today is not computer science. It's kind of just screwing around, doing stuff, learning how systems work. Hey, so, so how did you kind of like come about Hey, there's a security, you know, like here's, here's my, here's my first security job. Like this is a thing I can get paid for. Oh uh, yeah. So I, I always wanted to get into it. You know, I knew that I wanted to be in that field even from a kid. And then out of grad school, I studied information assurance in grad school to hopefully get me, you know, in the door as my first security gig. And I ended up in QA. I actually didn't know what it meant. I just ended up doing QA at Symantec. And um, once I did realize what it meant, I was like, kind of like, oh, this isn't exactly what I wanted to be doing. So I, I learned Python. And uh, one of my first tasks was to take this massive pile of test cases, like manual test cases, and execute it against an API, and then report on the results into this horrible system called HPQC, which is probably still in use today. Um, and so I, I just wrote Python to do all of it. And I, I wrote the Python script to run every single configuration option, basically in a big loop. And uh, make the API request, automatically capture the results, and and put all of it into HPQC and mark that it was done. 
Um, so it was, I'm sure it wasn't what, you know, people intended when they gave me the task, but it was a kind of a cool way to start learning about Python and, you know, automation and a lot of stuff that served me pretty well um, to this day. Also, um, you know, there's a big overlap between, I think I was actually um, listening to this on your show uh, last time. There's a big overlap between QA and security. Um, some of the security tests uh, you were saying, like, wouldn't like hold up to the standard that a lot of QA um, goes into, but it's kind of a good way to like learn about the mindset um, by starting off in testing because that same mindset does carry over to security testing. And uh, I found a way to, to carve out a niche where um, I was working on a DLP product at a time. And one of the, you know, is this a security test or not? You, it could go either way, but I created a fuzzing payload, which causes a crash in the product, you know, but it also has a security impact. So I think I, I found a couple of ways to kind of get around them wanting me to do normal QA and, and move into security anyway. Right. Yeah. If you're causing stack traces, right. I mean, yeah. Stack trace could be a SQL stack trace. Like, you know, it, it's a stack, it's a stack trace. So, you know, you've caused something to go wrong, whether it be parsing, you know, a parsing error or a size limit or whatever the case is like you've caught. Yeah. It's very similar. And because uh, I've heard people say that, that we're, that security is like, and maybe Seth, maybe you've said this too, is like, we're just glorified QA testers. Yeah. Poor right. glorified QA. I mean, <laughs> well, not poor, like we're very well paid, <laughs> but, you know, not as disciplined as QA testers, right? You know, if you come in from that background it, and you look at security testing and it's always like, oh, what do you, what do you think you guys are doing on this side? You know? You don't even have like a, a test case, you know, a use case built on what you're actually testing. You're just throwing stuff at an application. But. Yeah, actually, you're not kidding because my brother-in-law does QA for a living and it's like very regimented. And there's like, a, a, there's a ton of, um, I mean, they've, I think, I think that they use like a, an actual checklist that they go through for each, for each yep. like feature or whatever there that's being added. So it's actually, yeah, it's, it's more, it's definitely more uh, structured for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, and that's, I mean, if you were, yeah, if you're coming up from that, you know, from that portion, I, 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 it's interesting though, that you took a job at Symantec in QA, but may, so basically you're saying that that was mainly because it was Symantec and it was a security firm. You just weren't sure what it was. Yep, Totally. But I ended up getting into the security part anyway, just by force of will more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. See, so security testing, right? It, it pays off. That's what, I, that's yeah, what I'm taking out of this, right? Totally. But everybody does have a slightly different path into that. So. Yeah, I think there's actually, I mean, I think you were talking about this last week. I think that there's probably some parts of that QA discipline that could help us be a little bit more, you know, formal with, a little bit more formal, a little bit less like gut intuition in our security testing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I don't want to see is take away the uh, kind of the the free thinking that a lot of the security testers have is thinking outside the box because they, I mean, that's the other thing that I, I balance out, right? I've seen a lot of QA testers that, you know, they get their list of requirements and that's the only thing that they look at, right? They get that checklist and they go, they move through it all and they're very they're very good at documenting and actually finding that. But you know, edge cases are not something unless somebody else gives them a requirement to test an edge case, they don't they don't include it in there. So the the goal is different. Uh, 
So it, it's kind of this weird balance. It's almost like you need a Q, you know, a security QA team, or you need to balance the two together, have them work together to actually find those vulnerabilities that are outside of the the norm. Totally. Yeah, I, I would say maybe the one part of QA that that could carry over is that you know, um, I think in security we have the tendency to like kind of swarm on the you know the sexy component, the thing that like it's like a one one stop breach, you know, and so we kind of spend a lot of time on that. Whereas a QA, they have like their plan and they have to address every component. And, you know, maybe we could do with a little bit of like, oh, did we look at that thing that's a two-step breach? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, that's the other thing, right? It's the whole red team versus blue team argument almost is that, you know, I think most of the security testers, yes. I, I mean, on the application security side, most of us are ex-developers, but... I mean, most of those testers are red teamers. So all they care about is, hey, I need to find that one little hole. And there may be another whole portion of the application over here that they, you know, are just ignoring because they're looking only for SSRF. That's their, you know, that's their bag. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, I I see both sides, but I I also feel like the industry has been so focused on that one side of testing versus the actual, uh, you know, QA portion that, there needs to be some balance. Totally. Yep. hundred percent agree. I did want to uh, mention um, I, Dave Corsi's uh, quote here, which is uh, QA test equals use cases and a pen test equals misuse cases. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to look at it. Kind of yep. like that summary there. Nice job, Dave. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like, Definitely want to talk a little bit about your because uh, we got about thirty minutes left. So it's already fun, like you said. <laughs> yeah, we, we always eat it. We always it goes so fast. So, um, so yeah, if you could tell everyone about like kind of like your day to day operational role, um, and we'll just go from there because we've got lots of questions. So sure, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so I would say that the the function of my team at Netflix is to make it so that everything that you're doing with AWS is done securely. And, you know, by you, I mean like our customers, the developers. And a lot of that is, you know, taken care of um, for us by Spinnaker, which is this really awesome tool that uh, we use for delivery engineering. And basically developer just clicks a button, they get an application, the application can deploy into all the things you want it to, you know, using security groups and load balancers. And and then uh, what we've done as a team is build, um, you know, kind of the paved road around that. So, like, developers want certificates. And, you know, sometime prior to me getting here, people, I know you've talked about it on the show before as well, but sometime prior to me getting here, someone decided that certificates are hard and there should be a, a point, you know, click button thing that handles it for them. So we've integrated, you know, Lemur with, with the Spinnaker paved road. Um, and so kind of uh, a lot of the time that I spend is on, you know, making paved road solutions to, reduce the friction for AWS things. Um, a separate component that we have is uh, operational work, which in our case is um, mostly caused by the fact that my team owns IAM permissions. IAM permissions in AWS are very powerful. Um, we want that to be restricted to a very small set. And so, you know, one thing we've done is like, you know, make a paved road to get AWS credentials. Um, but we also work on like templating, you know, config as code, stuff like that. So there's an operational component and then uh, an architecture component, you know, so like what is the way, you know, what kind of controls can we apply to this environment to make it so, you know, like account segmentation and stuff like that, that um, would really help to make it harder to breach our environment. 
So do you have like one thing that people talk about is they have an issue where they've got three, like 300 and literally like 300 AWS environments they have to manage. I don't know if you have like a similar challenge that you all work, have to work through with that. Yeah, we have a bunch of accounts as well. Um, and we, uh, one of the things that my team has created is a service that's kind of the inventory of accounts and we can put metadata about the accounts in there. So like, who is the owner? You know, like if, if something's going on with this account, who should we contact? Who makes decisions on its behalf? Um, also, you know, which services belong in the account? Um, so like RepoKit, for example, there are uh, some accounts and the owners, you know, have told us that there's good reasons for it. They don't want us to be running in their account. So, um, you know, one thing we'll put in this service is like, this is a RepoKit enabled account versus this other account is not. Ah, so, okay. So, so it all goes back to application inventory, right? Yeah, everything's application inventory and security. <laughs> it's like the hardest problem. Yeah. So when you guys solve that and come out with, you know, like even a new tool, right? Just, just make sure and share for the rest of us. That's... I can tell you people are working on it. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. So how do you, I mean, you, you've got kind of that paved road, road path. I know when we talked to Asta, she was, you know, she mentioned that a lot of the developers are very security conscious. So they come to you guys. Do you still have teams internally that are not, you know, following your, you know, your prescribed direction in the, in the AWS environments? And how do you handle those guys? Sure. Yeah. I'm, you know, we really try to build a good relationship with developers where they'll want to come to us, you know, and they'll, they'll, um, the training that we focus on is really around identifying, you know, these are the things as a developer that you should know, oh, okay, this is a security thing I should ask the team. Um, and of course you don't have to do it. So Netflix is very, um, context not control is one of our virtues. And that means that you don't have to do anything. Um, you know, we're not going to like come in as a security team and force you to do something. And so in those cases, we really tried to build sort of like, an alarm system, you know, that'll like let us know as a security team when we see certain types of behaviors and we're like, oh, it's time for a visit with the blah, blah, blah team. Do you, I mean, one thing that I'm curious about, and I'm trying to think of how to phrase this um, so that it makes sense, because like the, the, the reason I, the, the, the reason I've sort of the challenge that I've seen is that, you know, like you've got um, on, it's very easy to say like, oh, this, this, um, you know, this environment spun up, I don't know, three RDS uh, databases. Um, they've got um, four EC2 instances, et cetera. But you may not know all like, or, you know, they've, they've used op, ops work, whatever. Like sometimes it gets more complicated and there's things that like, you have no idea what, you know, why that's in, in, in use, right? Um, and, you know, queuing services and caching and, uh, you know, like Redis or Memcache and, and stuff like that. And so now you've got all these different components, but you may not know, like, I don't, well, first of all, I don't know if you know um, basically like what the threat model is for what these new, you see these boxes, but you don't necessarily know what's running through them, maybe, unless they tell you, right? Um, so how they're architected, um, maybe that's, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, I don't know, like, does it matter if you know exactly what data is flowing through these boxes and how they're like secured and locked down, or is it such a situation where you're like, no, like we only run with, you know, like hardened boxes and you, you know, we've locked down network access in such a way. And we have these other mitigating controls that like, I don't really need to know 
perhaps like what, like I said, what data is flowing through these boxes or how they're can, you know, like does, does couch DB make sense? You know, like, is that like, what are the issues with couch DB or is it just, you're like, it doesn't matter. We do enough with, uh, AWS security controls. Like we don't have to be super concerned. Um, we do both. Yeah. So the, like, um, the first part of what you said is like, um, do we know what's on the boxes? And in our case, we do because the way that we uh, create these um, instances is that we will bake everything. So there's a baking process. And then uh, that all is built on top of our base AMI. And from there, uh, since it's all built on the base AMI, we get a lot of things for free, like nice security controls, but we also get a manifest of everything that goes in there. And so we can do both. We can go and say, you know, after the fact, like, oh, you know, crap, there's a new open SSL thing. You know, what are all the boxes that have, have baked with that? And we can push out a notice and say, it's time to roll a new one. Um, and we also get, because they're all built on that, you know, that single golden image that gets a lot of love from our engineering team. We also have a lot of, you know, security controls and things out of the box that just come with it. Oh, nice. So you've gotten both the information that you need um, and you've got the security controls. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so and, uh, I guess a, a another um, benefit to putting things through a paved road is that if there's like one central way of creating resources, then you can apply tagging to it as well. So if like, um, you know, Spinnaker knows who the user is that's creating it. And so if, you know, for any resources that are managed by Spinnaker, it can apply a tag and say, I know who this person is, they made this thing and then apply that person's uh, group onto the resource. Interesting. Interesting. So I know you do a bit with proactive security controls. Do you have, um, do you deal with any of sort of the, uh, I would, maybe it's not necessarily reactive, but it's like in the event that something happens like for logging and, and whatnot, like, or even alerting in real time that stuff is going down. I don't know if you deal with any of that or if yours is more folk, if your work is more focused on just like kind of, uh, making sure everything is done right from the outset. Yeah, um, actually, that's been something I've been working on a lot lately, personally, is um, is how can we do something sane with alerting? You know, there's a million tools that can produce various signals of quality that something's going on in your environment that's bad. And if you let them, you can get drowned in alerts. You know, I mean, you see situations where, you know, there have been breaches where the companies had alerts that told them about the bad thing happening. Um, and so, you know, these things really need to be like tuned very well. And if you get if you ever get to the point where like we're not going to run a, a sock full of analysts just clicking through alerts every day, our general um, mode of operating is that every single one of these alerts should be owned by the team that's closest to it. So in my case, all the infrastructure alerts should be owned by my team. And part of our on-call bur burden is servicing those alerts. So getting the tools to the point where the, the alerts are tuned properly, that we're pr getting enough value from it, where it's worth like going into every single one of those is what I'm really focused on right now. So I'll use sort of a dumb example. Um, so like, for instance, application failures, that doesn't belong to you, obviously, that in the sense that, uh, like, you know, um, memory, memory utilization is real high. So like another instance has to get spun up. That may not be something that relates to, but like, or something you want to hear about, but like maybe um, somebody logging in with a root account or something, like I said, it's kind of a dumb, silly example, but you know, something like that, that would be more of something that would fall under the sort of infrastructure, uh, infrastructure concern, or yep. even like permissions changing on, like, I don't, I don't know, I'm just sort of making stuff like permissions changing on an S3 bucket or, I don't, you know, whatever the case may be. 
Totally. Yeah. Um, so the the first example that you mentioned, the performance stuff, is handled by a separate team. We have a really nice kind of shared infrastructure here that you know you get dashboards and all of your apps that are built on this you know standard base image kind of just have all this stuff out of the box and it works nicely. Um, so that's not something that we have to worry about. We do care about the security infrastructure component and you know for like root account, somebody logging in with the root account. Um, we would take a very proactive approach to that. And we would, you know, my team is the only one that can log into the root account. We have that, um, you know, set up with a process where all of these are, you know, obviously like two factor and the way to access those, you know, you need two of us to get to it and, and you know, cool stuff like that. Um, so we wouldn't see any root account logins, um, but things that you would see in CloudTrail, like, you know, somebody modifying permissions on an S3 bucket, uh, we would take two steps to that. We would first try and limit the number of people that can do that because it's something that people have screwed up a lot in the past. There's been a lot of organizations that have, you know, had bad things happen because somebody inadvertently made an S3 bucket public. So we try and limit the people that can do that. We try and create tools that make it, you know, easy to do the right thing and hard to do the wrong thing. And then we also have a CloudTrail detection component of that. And we'll do some filtering, you know, with a tool like StreamAlert and, and see that, okay, this is, this is a bucket that should not be public, and now it is. And you know, this is the person that did it, and then we can respond from there. So we get a lot of viewers who they're like basically one or two security people for the entire org, and they're using AWS. And you know, like if I'm in their shoes, and I've got someone like you on, and I can ask you a question. One of the things I would ask you is what are some simple things that I should be alerting for? We talked about like the root account login, uh, but you know, what are some basic proactive steps that I could take and I could be alerted on, or, you know, I could maybe delegate the alerts to someone, but either way, someone could see that something bad is occurring in AWS. Sure. Yeah. I'm, actually, I'm doing a, a QCon talk tomorrow and this is very fresh in my mind because a couple of these things we're talking about in the talk. Um, one of them is, uh, knowing your what's normal for your account, you know, so like these are the regions that, you know, that my account uses and, and these are inactive regions. And if you see something in an inactive region, that's a pretty big indicator that, you know, something's going on. Um, what are the normal calls? Like what are baseline like behavior of like CloudTrail tracked API calls um, for the account? You know, if you see all of a sudden like a flurry of IAM stuff, you know, that's something that's very restricted to us. So, you know, in our environment, we can say, these are the users that should be performing IAM. And if I see anybody else even trying to do that, that's probably something bad. Um, you know, and we also invest in per role level detection. So we can see, um, because, you know, we have repo kit and we're watching CloudTrail continuously anyway, we can keep track for applications, like what are the base set of actions they're performing. And we, of course, use that to take away stuff that they're not using, but we can also see if they're doing something weird all of a sudden, like, um, you know, one attacker, uh, common attacker first step is S3 list buckets, right? It's pretty benign. A lot of apps like or roles have that permission. And if you see S3 list buckets for something that doesn't use S3, that's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, that, that would that would be strange. Yeah, that would be very likely abuse or someone yeah. poking and prodding. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. We've seen it before too, and we've just reached out to the developer and said, "Hey, what's going on? You know, with this app you own." And they said, oh, yeah, that was me. I was doing some stuff on instance. But, you know, one of these days we're going to catch somebody doing something bad with that. 
Maybe find Chris Gates doing something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say uh, that tool that Ken and Chris just came out with. But you could almost run that and see what kind of alerts you fired and figure and go from there, right? Totally. Yeah, one of uh, some tool like that actually um, tripped up a researcher one time for us. They were just running one of the typical AWS enumeration things, and that was you know like one of those calls was super weird for our account, and we're like, what's that? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there is a, cause you know, a couple of the tools, ours included have a way where really there's no, you know, there's no like, um, it's, you basically, if you get a key, you just basically request each service to see if like you have access to it. And if you don't, then you say you don't have access. And if you do, obviously, but do in doing that is very noisy. So right. I would imagine it would tr definitely trip up a, a, an organization such as yours. I'm, I'm sure that would, that would trigger some alerts. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even like the preventions, if, you know, if I, as attacker is am using something like that, I'm going to go disable, you know, cloud trail or, you know, whatever up front and that should trigger. Right. I mean, you, you would yeah. hope that someone would notice that that happened before something else went on, but yeah. Also something we have very locked down, very few people in our company can modify cloud trail. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. We, um, so yeah, because and for those that are for those that aren't familiar, CloudTrail is your logging for AWS. Period. That's like where your logs exist. Although now you could actually clarify this, I, because Travis, my understanding is that now, or I don't know, like now, now, right? It's, uh, meaning like within the last since I last looked at AWS full time, um, they have implemented where AWS keeps logs that you, like even if you have CloudTrail disabled, they still have logging on your environment. And I don't know how long that lasts. Does that sound correct? Cause that's what I've been told is that, that, that AWS just keeps logs period. And then you need to enable CloudTrail also because if you want to do any like actual alerting or analysis or anything like that, obviously you need CloudTrail access. I'm not 100% on that. I, I think I've heard something like that too. Um, honestly, as part of our new account provisioning process, we always, you know, we've got tools that spin up accounts and it's always like one of the first things we do is turn on CloudTrail. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do have CloudTrail on your behalf anyway. Yeah, one of the nastier things that uh, we've heard of, um, I forget the researcher's name who posted it, but they, on the CloudTrail front, like, you know how it, uh, it logs to an S3 bucket but the researcher didn't want to alert that the um, cloud trail had been disabled. So they encrypt, they had access to encrypt the S3 bucket such that the actual security team or the team in general couldn't access the logs, the cloud trail log, but they, they could, cause they've, they had the key for, you know, it being encrypted. Oh, got it. So it's like a cool way of just disabling cloud trail without actually disabling cloud trail. Yes. Yeah. And if I can remember, the research it's in our slides too but yeah like it it's a pretty nasty way to do it yeah for sure yeah i mean, I mean cloud trails you know so clutch like i i would you know definitely <laughs> make sure that you have all the ways to disable cloud trail lockdown although that's that's pretty clever i'm not sure i would have thought of that it's a it's an interesting um yeah I'll, actually there's a the, i'll get i'll find the researcher's name and put the um the actual uh yeah i'll put their name here so another question I had for you is like, cause I hear, here's the thing and I'm sure other people can relate to this. I can't keep up with all the new tools that come out uh, from or services that come out from AWS. But um, 
whether it's designed purposefully to be a security service or it's just something that you found to be maybe like something people don't think about, but can be used as a security service. Like what services have AWS that are kind of like they're for use. I mean, besides like obviously CloudTrail, they're super important um, or very super useful uh, within AWS to actually like help be proactive. Uh, I am for sure. <laughs> I am like, you know, it's, it's very powerful. It's, it's very complicated. We spend a lot of time, you know, locking that down because if you don't have a good, you know, I am story, then there's going to be all kinds of ways into your environment. Um, so yeah, I mean, I am is in, in my book is the, the security service. Um, yeah, CloudTrail for sure. Um, can't think of any others off the top of my head, but I can't imagine you get as much use out of trusted advisor. Like, no, there's wrong, and not nothing. Not that it's there's no, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I would imagine like you guys are just you've got so so many controls and so much architecture built around you know how how it's locked down. I, I can't imagine security advisor would be of much use. I think yeah, I think maybe a little bit of use, but um, you know, either we have it. Um, we have controls that, you know, fulfill the same function or we've written, you know, tools ourselves, you know, at a time when trusted advisor didn't necessarily support something or, you know, between all those things. But I mean, we continuously reevaluate these tools and, you know, all things being equal, we'd rather have Amazon, you know, write this cool thing than us like have to write it and maintain it. So we're always re re um, revisiting these things. And if trusted advisor comes out with something, you know, awesome, we'll totally use it. So the researcher's name is Daniel Grislak. I want to oh, Daniel Grislak from Atlassian, right? Yes. Yep. Head of security at Atlassian. Yes. Oh yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, those those blog posts are pretty uh, pretty insane. Um, I'll post a link to his medium here, but yeah, he's talked a little bit about doing some some stuff like that. Yeah, for our cloud trail, you know, the approach that we take is we'll centralize it and then we'll, you know, have it in a very lockdown account. That's one one way where we can use account level segmentation to, you know, make sure that our core security functions are happening in an account that very few people have access to and, you know, people can't go screwing around with the S3 bucket. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, if someone's messing with, it, that's, that's just something, yeah, like it's got to be sacred. It just, it does. You have to be able to rely on um you have to be able to rely on and here's the actual article like i found it cool i'm bad at talking and typing you can't tell everybody is <laughs> yeah not yeah that's god i've had that conversation before where i'm like nobody is actually good at multitasking every um every research article you've ever seen on it states that we are not actual true multitask taskers we can bounce around and context shift but you're context shifting that's why uh, demos on stage are so risky is because a lot of the times you know you're concentrating on your demo and then you're not really talking and people are kind of confused like you know should i be watching the demo should i be listening to you <laughs> yeah you know i went to videos for that reason i know if you were like oh it's lame it's not live well i don't care it's better for me so. <laughs> there's a spirit and better for like 75 to 80 percent of the or maybe more like 90 percent of the people we are watching so yep so you have a talk to is that you said tomorrow at qcon on yep. is it already tuesday it is i should know because this podcast is only on tuesdays yeah <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what what you guys are going to discuss at that talk 
Sure. Yeah, my colleague Will Bengson and I uh, are going to be doing, we've got a nice pizza metaphor. In fact, lots of pizza metaphors. And the idea is that, you know, as a security team, we're building a pizza that's, you know, got so many controls on it, you know, so many fresh ingredients that an attacker won't be able to finish the whole thing. And basically, we're just going through a lot of the controls, you know, that I, I discussed on this show and some other controls that I didn't and how we can put them all together. And, you know, with all of them combined, you get this uh, environment that is so difficult for an attacker that hopefully they'll go somewhere else. Do you do you know if that talk's going to be streamed at all? I don't know if it's streamed. I do know it's going to be recorded and available at some point online. Perfect. Definitely would love to put that out to uh, we can. We can either put that out on the show or Seth, I'm sure we can find a way to put it on the website or something like that. Oh yeah. We can definitely link to it, uh, you know, from within the episode or whatever. Right. Um, cool. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. No problem. It sounds, yeah, it sounds pretty interesting. Um, I'm excited to see it. I, I don't know. Like it, I started, I, I, I went down that rabbit hole of actually starting to read that by Daniel Grislock or whatever it is. Um, and it almost sounds like a, a malware, right? Like a, a ransomware attack. You know, hey, we're gonna take, we're gonna hold your cloud trail logs hostage versus your data itself. But it's kind of fun. Oh, right. for sure. I'd cool. never heard of QCOM, by the way. I'm actually like, I'm looking at the uh, tracks now and the schedule. It looks interesting. Yeah, where is that one? Is that just down there and? In- Silicon oh, Valley somewhere? No, it's in San Francisco. I don't know exactly where. I should probably figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're headed there tomorrow, you may you may want yeah. to figure it out. Well, uh, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> that's 12 hours plus away. You're fine. It'll be yeah. good. Yeah, I'll figure it out. <laughs> so who, who runs that one? Or how did you find out about it? Ooh, I don't know that either. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my, my research game on QCon is bad. I've heard That's good. Fine. I've heard, heard really good things about it, though. Nice, nice. So, like, besides QCon, where else can people kind of, um, you know, come see you speak? Where where can people like meet up with you and like talk to you and, and engage? Um, I know you've you've done. I mean, I'm assuming you're going to be at AppSec Cali. Yes. Yes. Are you speaking there? I. I'm not. Nope. No. I'm, I'm uh, one of the organizers for it, but I am not speaking. I'm going to leave this oh, yeah. to uh, qualified professionals such as yourselves. <laughs> nah. Well, I don't know about that. Have oh, you yeah, seen the podcast like, before? <laughs> you're, uh, yeah, you, it, sorry. <laughs> no, but um, cool. I didn't know you were running apps at Kelly. I knew you were involved at some level. That's interesting. Well, I'm not yeah. running, anything, but it's a joint effort between the, the California OWASP chapters. Oh, nice. I, I never know how these, I never know how things work, Seth. I never know how things work. (laughs) We we should have talked about that before, but yeah, that's, that's what I understood there. Right. Travis. Yeah. yeah, That it was the OWASP groups. So um, yeah, we're excited about that one. I mean, for those listeners that didn't hear Ken and I will be giving our, you know, code review training at apps at Cali again. So both of us will be there. We'll have to go out and, get drinks or something, Travis, you know, maybe, maybe by then we'll have you a, an absolute AppSec shirt and we can, we can yes. pass that along. Perfect. Or, or you can get the last uh, uh, magnet and be super excited about it. Ooh, either <laughs> one of those would be good. Yeah. And definitely I'm going to swing by your training. I want to see it firsthand. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on by. It's we we have a lot of fun doing it. So <laughs> it'll be good. Um, let's see. Uh, what yeah, else? Do oh. you give it? Do you give any training on AWS security within the company? Like for like you literally? Do you personally give training? Um, actually, my team um, started doing some training internally pretty recently. Um, my colleague Will started that up, and uh, him and Nog do the training. Um, they're doing it at AppSec Cali. It's very similar to the one that we do internally, except for the internal one is focused on our tools and a lot of the paved road stuff, whereas the um, AWS one-on-one that they're doing at AppSec Cali is much more, you know, how to use AWS primitives. Yeah, I remember uh, Will did uh, training at uh, AppSec USA on uh, AWS security. Yeah, you should yeah, have we if you haven't, uh, if you don't have him scheduled yet. Yeah, yeah we'll talk to him. Yeah, yeah you know, he's somewhere. actually coming on, I think, December 4th. Nice. So somehow we've convinced you folks over at Netflix <laughs> to actually give us the time of day. So we, yeah. we appreciate we're, it. We're taking advantage of it, apparently. Yeah. Oh, the word's out about the podcast. Everyone wants to come on. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. We'll, we'll go with that, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, just as we're kind of wrapping up and, you know, because we have been going for almost an hour here. Um, you said Travis, it, what it. Yeah, it, it always does, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's always, I'd rather I'm you still, know, have a lot to talk about than nothing to talk about. Yeah, so. I know. We still have like lots of questions and especially like, because I, I, we could probably spin off on the whole like, CI test that you've written path, but you know, like that's, that's the thing is like, we get to this time slot and we're like, Oh, okay. We probably need to like start wrapping it up, but yeah. <laughs> Make it so people can actually listen to the show in a, you know, you know small amount of time. Okay, um, my question. Ask, I'm happy to come back on at some other point. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'd love no, that. that. Yeah. We would love that. Right. You know, cause we, we have had some repeat guests, but definitely it helps kind of extend that conversation and we can dig into some of those other topics that I know we've, you know, kind of talked on the surface about and we could, yeah, we could go deeper. Um, my question to you though, from a, you know, from an AWS perspective and somebody that's just getting into AWS, I know we kind of talked about the different controls that you would, you would recommend, but from a career perspective, what would you recommend that someone do? I mean, there's there's multiple conferences out there. There's trainings like Will's given, giving. There's, you know, reInvent. But what is the path? What would your recommendation be to someone that wants to get into cloud security? Where to go? Oh, first of all, um, totally do it. Uh, you know, it's going to be a steep learning curve. There's times when it's going to frustrate you for sure. But, you know, definitely get into it. It's awesome field. There's a lot of great people in it, tons of awesome work to do. I would say that the best way to do it is to just, you know, there's a free tier account and you can get started, you know, today, click the button, create an account and just start screwing around, you know, make make an EC2 instance and uh, attach it to a load balancer and, you know, go take it from there, like have it start communicating with S3. And then, you know, once you do that, you'll, you'll realize that there's an S3 bucket policy that you need to figure out. And, um, you know, and also start uh, reading some of the research from, um, you know, some of the best people in the fields, learn about how how organizations are getting breached, like what kind of mistakes keep coming up over and over again. And, you know, just take it slowly. Like you don't have to learn everything at once. It's a very complicated beast. There's a lot of services and stuff. You don't need to know all of it from day one. Yeah. So, you know, um, when you talk about following people or research, you know, who is it that you follow? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, I usually just, uh, I start off on Hacker News every day. I read okay. through all of that, you know, read through uh, our uh, Reddit, our NetSec, 
you know, all of the good research tends to get up, upvoted pretty well in there. And, you know, anything with AWS in there is an automatic click for me. That's part of my morning reading rotation. Okay. Now, that's interesting. I don't think we've talked about RNETSEC before, Ken, um, but that definitely is a go-to for me, right, as far as, hey, what's going on? Like, if, if Ken and I are talking about the podcast, and I'm like, oh, it's been a little while, and we haven't, like, talked about current industry trends or the, you know, the latest vulnerabilities or whatever. It's our NetSec is, is a good place to kind of aggregate that together, right? Yeah, right. I can pretty much summarize most of that with, like, there's drama. Some people agree. Some people disagree. <laughs> uh, there's a branded vulnerability that's got a, its own website. The end, you know, like, oh, we like have encryption that's been around for 10 years and turns out it's not that great, you know? <laughs> you sound like a dated industry veteran. <laughs> yeah, like that that could literally have been a, so, that that could have been a description for 2014, 2015, 2016, 20 I mean for any so, you're just pick a year and the, the, the problem Ken is you're reading the comments, you're not just yeah. clicking on the article and then moving on, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't read the comments, not even once. <laughs> not even once. Comments <laughs> are the they, comments ruin the internet. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> not everyone should have an opinion. No, let me say that. Everybody can have an opinion. Not everyone should speak their opinion. I think that's what we've learned from comments. Totally true. Isn't that what the moderators are for, right? Is to, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're totally on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Watch, we're going to get what? trolled, and there's just going to be a bunch of shitty comments on this video now. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Cool. Um, let's see. Uh, what else? Um, like, I, yeah, I feel like we're kind of wrapping up here at, you know, Ken, is there other stuff that you wanted to cover before we, you know, call it a night? I, I did mention apps at Cali, um, come see us there. Uh, if there's other places that you would like to see us, that would be great. I mean, you're going to QCon, Travis, you'll be at apps at Cali. Are there any other conferences that are on your radar? Oh, B-side San Francisco for sure. Every okay. year. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right before RSA, right? Correct. Yep. yep. Okay. Missed that? I was going to look. Is that even? Are they doing call for papers or anything like that, or do you know? Uh, I think it's still open. Okay. Yeah, I like am actually open. trying to. I'm putting your Twitter handle on here this way. If anybody wants to reach out, reach out and ask you more questions, um, they can do that. Uh, so we have two. So, so the reason that you see a lot of like scrolling around so we actually have a slack chat and the youtube live chat and people use both so we kind of have to monitor both and basically always paste twice so um but yeah thank you for coming on i appreciate it <laughs> oh yeah for sure i'm, I'm looking forward to a beer in upset cali yeah i'm definitely. so and and i know like seth i i believe you're gonna stick around for a bit i'm definitely sticking around i'll probably be in um i'm probably gonna stick around for like a week in Santa Monica just because it's beautiful and why not? And so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll totally be around to do that stuff. Yeah, Santa Monica does not suck. No, no it does not. <laughs> I'm trying to... I, yeah, one of the beautiful things is you can get an Airbnb for a relatively good price right on the beach out there. So, Yep. Cool. Well, Travis, thanks again for joining us. Uh, you know, find us on Twitter. Um, I, I mean, we're following each other, obviously, but we'll find, you know, if there's other questions that pop up, we'll send them your way. Otherwise, we'll see you in Cali and we'll see you online. So appreciate awesome. it. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. This is great. 
Oh, thank you. And uh, one of the folks watching already said they're going to start stocking you and waiting for your inventory app to be uh, to be released. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, awesome. That's what we need cool. more internet Thanks, stalkers. Everybody. Yeah, perfect. That's just what I need. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Thank you. See you.